FM. KXNO's Thirsty Thursday continues now with the Cyclone Fanatic Radio Show. Presented by Nebraska Furniture Mart in Clive. Here's your host, Jared Stansberry. It's another Thursday here on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. I'm Jared Stansberry. It's a Cyclone Fanatic Radio Show presented by our friends at Nebraska Furniture Martin Clive. We've got a jam-packed show for you here today. Uh, during segment two, I'm going to be joined by Brent Bloom. Not going to have a segment with Tim Mullen uh, and Chris Williams this week. Uh, Tim's been having some personal stuff. Our thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family here uh, with, with everything that they've got going on. But uh, we'll have Brent Bloom in uh, on segment two. We're going to talk a little bit of Tyrese Halberton and the NBA draft. Um, and then to close the show, Connor Ferguson is going to join me to talk Iowa State Women's Basketball Media Day, which was yesterday. But to lead things off, we're going to go to the phones as soon as I can get my mouse to work. Tyler, can you take Jay live? We're going to be joined by Jay Jordan here on the Cyclone Fanatic Radio Show. Jay, what's up, my man? Hey, Jared. How are you? I'm doing good, dude. Um, you uh, you've been busy here lately? I have been. It's been a... Uh, everybody starts to get cranked up for the end of the year and, and my lines of work, and uh, there's a lot to do. Certainly, man. And then, obviously, uh, everything uh, with football going on, too. How did, how did your boys, how'd they end up doing in their football seasons? Are they still going, or is that all stuff all over now? They are. We just had uh, games canceled this week. So, um, <laughs> it's it's coming to a uh, an end, like I'm sure many uh, have experienced throughout the country. But uh, it's been a bit, little bit stop and start. Everything's just so odd uh in this season with the pandemic and and all the trappings uh, around it but overall they my boys both grew they grew personally and they grew um in their athletic endeavors as well and and that's really really if you want to strike at the core of what i believe about sports it's about um the personal growth that you can gain from uh overcoming adversity and um, and moving forward in life uh, through hardship and through success, and uh, they have both made made strides in that, and it's uh, made me a proud father. Absolutely, glad to hear it, man. Um, all right, so let's turn our attention to Iowa State football here. Obviously, the Cyclones are on a bye week this week uh, before they take on Kansas State next week. Hopefully, assuming that uh, the Wildcats can keep their COVID situation under control, which I heard was. Uh, saw earlier this week had gotten um, had escalated a little bit. I think they had 20 positive cases on Tuesday, but uh, I think the thing that that sticks out to me from these last two games, Jay, obviously the the dominant win over Kansas, and then um, we had I think I talked to you before the Oklahoma State game, but um, you know the the thing that stuck out to me about this Baylor game is you think back to last season and the struggles that Iowa State had, and the things that really you know kind of kept them from having a, a a little bit better season than what they did was that inability to win games, uh, you know, within one score or, or close games. And I feel like this team, you know, they've shown a little bit more of a, an ability to uh, to battle, to persevere, to fight through the adversity that you get into, and then to keep their composure in those moments where you need someone to make a winning play. Obviously, in this last game, it was Mike Rose who was able to do that for the Cyclones. Do you kind of see that as well? I, I, I feel like there's a flip or a switch has flipped a little bit from last year to this year where these guys have become more veteran. They don't lose their composure. And like when the, the chips are on the table, they're perfectly fine with continuing to just play their game. Yeah, you have to be really good to do what they did against Baylor to play as poorly as you can possibly play for a half 
and then for a quarter make it all up and go ahead. And uh, you have to be really good to do that. And to be really good, you have to believe you're really good. And so I think that's exactly what you're hitting on is is these guys do have a belief in their quality and that begins to show during games. I'm sure they want to show it from beginning to end uh, and that the coaching staff is, is um, you know, working to that end with each one of them uh, in each position group and, and each unit. However, um, the ability to do that, to turn on that switch, to get something going right and keep it going right, um, yeah, they've shown the grit uh, to be able to do that. And grit is not something we've often associated with Iowa State teams. What do you think the difference was in between that first half and the second half? I mean, obviously, you know, not turning the ball over every time that you get it is a a big piece of that. But it just seemed like after they came out in the second half, they had a little bit of a different swagger about them. They looked closer to being uh, that team that we've expected them to uh, expected them to be throughout this season. And um, you know, obviously, Brock kind of got back to. Uh, to what we usually expect to see from him. But then even the defense. I mean, early on, Baylor was able to move the ball pretty effectively against them, albeit against some, a couple short fields. But uh, that that group just seemed like – it just seemed different. I mean, what did you see? What was the biggest thing that changed from first the first half to the second half against the Bears? Um, not a ton changed schematically. Uh, what changed was the attitude and, and that grit. So essentially the – the play in the first half allowed the, the team to go in at halftime and be scolded for how bad they played, but it was basically it gives you a, an edge in a you know motivational context to say, is there anything else that could have gone wrong in that first half, and we're still in this ball game, so let's just not be the worst version of ourselves and we're going to be just fine. Here's a few adjustments here, a few wrinkles, but just relax and go forward. And that's what I thought I saw. I thought I saw a team that relaxed. I thought I saw a team that was nervous going into the game for, or hyped up. Uh, you know, it's Baylor. There's, there's, there's a little more of a rivalry and, and grit to those games uh, in recent years. Uh, I think rightfully so, and I'm happy to see it. But um, I, I think that that what we saw was exactly what, calling back to the first question, you saw veterans uh, grow into veteran roles and realize that, that, yeah, if we just do what we know we can do, this thing will turn around. So Brock didn't get rattled, could have been, was rattled at times in the first half, was able to shake that off, make his reads and make his throws. You saw them lean into the running game, which is a tremendous, that, that's the difference. That's the difference with this year's team and the ones in the past is when things start going wrong, you have a dynamic running game to lean into because everything can get settled down when you get physical and you make yards through physical play. And all of a sudden, the more acrobatic skill plays become easier when you know you can line up and you can block three yards and your back will get an extra four. When that starts to happen, then you start to see your entire team's psyche uh, lock in and level down, and it also creates some panic on the other side of the ball because they can't stop it. 
And so I think that's the big difference with this team and their ability to get over the hump and show that grit is they can line up and they can play physical run offense and physical run defense. And when they do that, then everything else starts to starts to come into play. And I think one of those guys that you've really seen step into, you know, being that leadership, the and where you're really seeing the veteranness come out in him, and it we had seen him play at a really high level during year one and year two, but year three, he's just taken it to another level. And that's Mike Rose. I mean, for him to be you know third in the big 12 in tackles right now, he leads the league in solo tackles. He's tied for the lead in, uh, in interceptions. I mean, that's a guy who right now is not only playing, you know, at or near a, a first team, all big 12 level, he's borderline all American type talent right now and you know we've and like I said we've seen him play really well as a freshman we've seen him play really well at times as a sophomore he obviously made the position change do you think that his you know how he has elevated his game this year is as much as anything just you know kind of growing into that Sam linebacker spot that he moved to last year what is he just you know getting better or, or what do you think it is that has changed for Mike Rose uh, as a junior to where now you know there's probably not too many linebackers in college football that are producing at a higher level than what he is. Yes, I think number one, he's getting better. Uh, he started with a with a high floor, and he's showing what his upside is, which means he can continue to grow. Um, so yes, he is getting better. He's more comfortable in a second year on the outside and playing in space. He's to the point where he's not guessing as much, so he's able to, to you know, in the very intellectual term, fly around uh, and and do so with impunity, and we're starting to see the results of that. I think the biggest thing I've seen in the change in his play is the play of the defensive line. So last year, uh, Iowa State got banged up a little bit on the defensive line. They had a little bit of trouble uh, here and there, especially after uh, Jaquan went out. And they <laughs> they would miss on some gaps. And you would see Rose in his outside linebacker role guess a little bit in an attempt to cover for the defensive lineman in front of him making a mistake or getting blown out. That puts you in no man's land. Now you're not trusting your read. You're trying to make two reads and cover for someone else's, and then you don't make both. And I saw saw him get into a pickle and struggle a little bit uh, especially late in the season last year, as that started to manifest. This year, you've got defensive linemen who are rotating in and out, playing at a high level, just like he is, uh, taking care of business in their gaps, uh, making plays through penetration and, and good pursuit angles, and that frees him up to do his job, to make his read, to react, and uh, go find people to hit and find the ball that makes that way more easier. So what we're seeing is a better Mike Rose who's more comfortable, but who is also freed up to let himself loose because the play in front of him has elevated. And I think that one of the guys who, and I asked Matt Campbell about this after the game on, on Saturday, because I saw you uh, tweeting about him so much, but um, Isaiah Lee is someone who has 
you know, not necessarily surprised me. We'd seen him play quite a bit early in the season, but I did. I don't think I expected him, uh, Josh Bailey, and even the Trail Bankston. You can throw him into the mix there. I don't think I expected that group there on the interior line to perform quite as well as they have uh, so far this season. I mean, we knew what they had coming back at the end positions in Zach Peterson and uh, and Jaquan and and Will McDonald and any, but that those three at the nose guard position, I think, have played well above what the expectations for them could have ever been coming into the year. I, I agree completely, and that's really the key, is is because what that's done is that's allowed them to move any out to the outside. And where we thought that his 310-pound frame was going to be locked down in the middle to cover up for those three guys, instead those three guys have been not just good, they've been playmakers from those that inside position, and that's allowed any – uh, the freedom to play on the outside, and that guy, and, and he he deserves a lot of credit for for the defense pivoting around him because his play has been dynamic, and and he's taking care of his responsibilities in a way that frees up guys like Mike Rose and Jake Hummel to run around, and Orion Vance has been very good this year as well um, to run around and make the plays they need to need to uh, make. But yeah, Isaiah Lee was uh, off the charts active really took smart angles in pursuit uh, down the line instead of penetrating and get pinned behind the play, which is what we saw a little bit uh, last season uh, from that position and from the interior. And both he and Bankston uses a lot of penetration because he's really nicely quick, but Bailey and, and, and Lee in particular are excellent uh, cloggers of the middle. They're exactly what you want. And then we saw some of Lee's athleticism and range uh, in that last game against Baylor and thought he just jumped off the page at some of the inside-out plays that he was able to make. If you've got a guy that, that's in the interior that can hold his spot and then cover tackle to tackle uh, running down the line, man, you've got something to pivot your defense around. And, th- and that's what you saw in the second half, especially against Baylor, and and why we're, we're seeing um, a really salty run defense out of these guys. Talking to Jay Jordan, Cyclone Fanatic football analyst here on the Cyclone Fanatic radio show presented by Nebraska Furniture Mart in Clive. Pivoting over to the offense a little bit. I mean, you know, I I was talking to Jeff Woody about this uh, a couple weeks ago on, on football and random things and just, you know, it's it's crazy to look at what Brock's numbers are this year in comparison to the last two seasons and just uh, for Iowa State to be in the position that they are now, obviously it's a lot of – you know, I think it's a lot of credit to uh, to Brees Hall to that offensive line and, and those guys. But uh, I, I think that Brock has. You look at the statistics and he's somewhat underwhelming. But you know, really, out for the most part, outside of some spot moments, and then really the first half against Baylor, like I've still felt like Brock has performed pretty admirably. And and I, I mean, what have you seen from Brock? You know, here recently, and just you know, when they are putting him in positions, I think that in the second half they put him in a lot more positions to really be successful. Where they're you know getting him some of those intermediate throws and stuff like that. The throw that he threw to Charlie, the, that he made to Charlie Kohler uh, in the back corner of the end zone for their first touchdown in the second half was one of the better throws I think Brock has made at Iowa State. You know, what have you seen from him? How have you seen him develop throughout the season? And um, you know, what do you want to see from him here as the as we get down this last three games? stretch of the Big 12 season? I'm really comfortable with what I've seen from Brock, maybe even more so than what, what I saw in the first two years. Uh, the reason is is because because he is operating within his weakness. Every player has a skill set. Some parts of those skills are, are better than others. 
And um, one of Brock's struggles is man coverage. Iowa State's entire offensive scheme, their staff from their staff to their receivers to their backs to their quarterback, all need to get better, scheme better against man coverage because it is um, it's a problem. But what that forces Brock to do is Brock has to play within his weakness as opposed to his strength. His strength is extending plays against zone coverage, finding an open guy, and throwing with anticipation um, a very catchable ball. Against man coverage, often you have to throw a guy open with uh, large arm strength, and you have to um, trust your receivers to be able to be in the right position to uh, make those catches. He struggles with that because that's not his primary skill set, and so he is having to operate in his weakest zone, and I think we're starting to see him grow into that. He's getting better at it. He's reading it better. He's seeing the field better, and I think trust is still a huge issue um, with his receiving core outside of Charlie Kohler and number eight, but he uh, he you have to be gritty. You have to be tough. You have to have a, a, a really solid level of confidence to do that on a regular basis and face it week after week. And I think we're seeing him grow. And the fact that he can have a 150-yard passing game and be fine with it, be great, still lead the team, and let some of that spotlight move, I also think is a, is a, is a huge sign of maturity and, and a really a real luxury to have at quarterback. Uh, for Iowa State. So seeing him operate in weakness, uh, get better at it, and work his way through a game, uh, even with the mistakes, uh, I think is, is, again, a part of that grit that we're seeing from this Iowa State team. Grit in the last three games is something that they've lacked in the last two seasons. It's something that I think they're, they're poised here um, to show. And, and hopefully make a, a strong final push. Yeah, and the last thing that I've got for you, and you kind of you know allude right into it right there, obviously the last three-game stretch here coming up against Kansas State, Texas, and a West Virginia team that I think is a lot better than what any of us um, probably expected to be coming into the season. But, you know, if you, you win two of them, uh, you're more than likely going to put yourself in a position to – uh, playing the Big 12 title game down in Arlington in, in, mid, in mid-December. I mean, what, what are going to be the biggest keys for the Cyclones here through this last game three-game stretch, and uh, what are going to be the things that you're going to be looking for for, uh, for the Cyclones to have the, the success that it takes to, to get to Jerry's World? Uh, remaining physical. Remaining physical. Is, is Those are Kansas State, West Virginia, and Texas all play physical football. And that has been hard for Iowa State to deal with in the last stages of the season than years past. With the extra breaks, with the weirdness of the season, I, I think it, it, it's provided a healthier, more rested, stronger team overall uh, that should be well prepared for that, but it's mindset more than it is is physical. And, and if they are able to match the physicality of those teams, uh, then I honestly believe they're just as good or better than all three of those teams. And I think the expectation should be to win each of those games, even the one in Austin. They were unprepared physically and unprepared mentally for the game in Austin two years ago that was set on the same stage with probably the same stakes that it's going to have um, this year. And 
I think this team, based on everything we've talked about here previously, uh, is set to rise up and, and meet that challenge, even with the youth um, that's there. And they're going to get all three of these teams are, are vying to rise up here at the end of the season to salvage something from the season, and they're all going to see an opportunity against Iowa State to do that. Um, but I think this is a very um, mentally tough team, and, and I think they have the opportunity. We'll, we'll see how it plays out, but, but it's got to, got to be answered with physicality. They've got to continue to run the ball with Brees Hall, continue to allow the line to make, make strides, and, and even amp up their physicality. You know, a guy like Ishim Young in the secondary, uh, the biggest difference and the biggest thing that stands out with him on the defense side of the ball is his, his physicality, his hitting ability, uh, his, his willingness to come up and just hammer you uh, from the safety position. That sets a tone on defense. Uh, they need tone setters, but they're guys who can do it. They're Charlie Kohlers, they're Dylan Sainers, they're Colin Newells, they're or Jaquan Bailey. Jaquan Bailey may be the best tone setter on this team um, this season. They need to come out, set the tone, not back down physically, and wins will come. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, buddy, for taking some time to uh, to talk with us, and we'll uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. All right. Sounds great. Thanks for bringing me in, Jared. That's Jay Jordan, Cyclone Fanatic football analyst here on the Cyclone Fanatic radio show. We're going to be joined by Brent Bloom. We're going to talk Tyrese Halberton in the NBA draft when we come back here on uh, KXNO 1460 and now 106.3 FM. All I do is win, win. Set call 1-800-BEDS off. Cyclone Fanatic Radio Show presented by Nebraska Furniture Martin Clive here on Des Moines Sports Station 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Talk some Iowa State football during segment one with Cyclone Fanatic football analyst Jay Jordan. And now we're going to go to the phones for the Cyclone Fanatic NBA expert, Mr. Brent Bloom. Brent Bloom, how's it going tonight? Good, man. I'm about to smash some sloppy joes. So this is going to be you know, a great appetizer for that. I'm sure that sloppy joes are interesting in your house with uh, two young, young boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, extra exactly. sloppy. So I, yeah, extra sloppy. But I, uh, man, I can't wait. So, man, I'm just I'm pumped up right now. Definitely. All right, we're about uh, four days away from the NBA draft um, here uh, in mid mid November. I think it's Monday night, uh, November sixteenth. So, uh, this. This is one that I think is obviously important for a lot of Iowa State fans when you consider the position that Tyrese Halberton is in. It's disappointing that he won't be able to go to uh, go to New York and, and walk across the stage and shake Adam Silver out Adam Silver's hands and all that stuff. But um, you know, there's been a lot of buzz about Tyrese here, uh, especially this week. He talked yesterday about how he worked out for a, a few teams. I think he said that he'd worked out for the Bulls, the um, the Timberwolves, the Warriors, and maybe the Knicks, I want to say it was. Uh, and then there was the, the rumor yesterday that uh, the Timberwolves were working to acquire another pick inside the lottery uh, with the hopefully their eyes set on, on acquiring Tyrese. I mean, what, what are some of the other things that you've seen? Where, you know, What do you expect the range uh, for Tyrese to be here uh, as we head into, uh, into this draft? Yeah, it's so fascinating. It's Wednesday night, right? The draft. Okay, yeah, but yeah, I'm, I might have that yeah, wrong. Yeah, you know, I'm just making sure. But no, I, it's going to be fun because I don't. I mean, it sounds like you know, you get you know a couple days out, get a week out, and you get a pretty good understanding of who those are dropping and who those are rising. And Tyrese is 
really not moving much at all. I mean, if anything, he's going up the board, which is good news for him because, you know, he's the safe pick in this thing. And I think when you start looking at, you know, some of those teams, you get to, you know, four to eight, um, I think you're going to see some teams potentially maneuver around to try and get somebody like him because he is a sure bet. You know, I I think uh, it'll be tough reach for him outside the top three. I mean, it sounds like it'll be Ball, uh, Wiseman, and um, Edwards in some combination, those top three. But that said, I, I've heard, like you have, you know, the T-Wolves, the Warriors uh, potentially trying to move out of that top three. Uh, just because they, I don't know if they, if they have a surefire all-star uh, on those top two picks, and you almost don't want that pressure there. But we'll see. I think you're going to see a lot of movement in this thing, in in and outside of the the lottery. And but, uh, long story short, I don't see Tyrese dropping beyond New York. I mean, I think that's the landing spot at eight. Should he be available? But I, I think you might see some movement to grab him, even at five, six, seven. And you know, I've heard from a couple friends that, that work in and around the Hawks, that they'd like to pair him up with Trey Young in Atlanta, which would be fun. And they, I think they're the, the sixth pick. And then you've seen him rumored with Cleveland this week, too, at five. So uh, he's he's being talked about in all these areas, which is good news for him. And, and we'll see. I definitely don't think he drops beyond eight or nine. Yeah, and it's a it's an interesting draft just because, you know, you look at the that top group, and obviously as close as... I don't know, close. That maybe wasn't a, isn't the right word. Minnesota seems like they're close to being able to be a, a con, you know a, a consistent yeah. playoff team yep. with with the core that they've got. Uh, they haven't exactly been able to prove that yet so far, but um, they've got some guys that I think that they're right on the edge of being in that zone. And then obviously with Golden State at number two, who uh, once you get Steph Curry back, once you get Clay Thompson back at full strength, I think that that's a team that's going to be right there in the mix again in the Western Conference, just based purely on their top end talent. So in a lot of years, I would I think that those top two picks would probably be in play to be moved. But I don't think that there's anybody that's really too keen on the idea of jumping up to them. Uh, and that's right. what's kind of weird about this draft where, you know, you've got an Anthony Edwards, you've got a LaMelo Ball, and you've got a James Weissman. Anthony Edwards obviously played a full season at, at, at Georgia. LaMelo Ball's coming from Australia. James Weissman played like two games at Memphis. And it's like, what do we really know about these guys? So, like, they might be the top-end talents, but I look at Tyrese and it's like, whoever takes him, you're taking him knowing, you know, he's probably not going to be an all-star for us, but he's going to come in and the odds of him being a quote-unquote bust or being a disappointment are considerably smaller. And I think, I assume that you would probably agree with that. I mean, is that kind of the read that you get on that? Yeah, absolutely. Totally. And so I'd put, you know, him and then Obi Toppin in that same conversation where, although Obi's, you know, what, three years older than Tyrese, at least Tyrese has that age upside. Um, that would give him an edge over Toppin, but you know those, you know those both both Halliburton and Toppin are going to come in and play, uh, potentially start and help you out. But you know you you want a guy like that who's upside, you know, especially for Toppin. You know we'll see with him. And then Tyrese, you know we know we've seen Tyrese enough, right? You, he's never going to be a shot creator in the NBA from creating his own shot. He just doesn't have that off the dribble game that he's going to be able to be James Harden or be Steph Curry or be you know, insert guy here that's going to get you 30 points a night off the dribble. But what he is, he's a ball mover, he's a facilitator, and he can knock down a, a set jump shot. And it's awkward and it's kind of goofy looking. And the first time I saw it, I'm like, what? What is that? But it goes in and it goes in at a high rate, and he'll be able to shoot well, stick him in a corner, and he can have a long, long career in the NBA. Plus, he's, you know, he, his athleticism's getting knocked a little bit. I mean, I think he's a more than capable 
NBA athlete yeah. to be a really good defender at that level. And so he checks a lot of boxes from the analytics people, but then throwing his personality and his leader. And you know there's a, a coach or a GM that's going to vouch for that guy because they want him just on their roster in general. So add up all those things. And he is, I think, of anybody in that top eight, the most sure pick you can make. Now, is the upside an all-star? Uh, perhaps not. But I think Tyrese can certainly be a starter on a NBA championship caliber team. And uh, so we'll see what direction they go. I mean, one team that I've heard wants to move up, Jared, is Detroit. But Detroit has no assets to <laughs> to move up. I mean, right. nobody wants their stuff because it's all it's all garbage. And so it's going to be really interesting. I mean, and then you wonder, you know, with the salary cap impl- implications with the pandemic and, and with the season starting in four weeks, you don't really have that run-up of a summer league. Maybe that helps Tyrese's value, too, because you know he's going to be ready to go, where some of these other guys, like a Ball or an Edwards or a Wiseman, you're not really sure what you're getting, and you don't have a whole lot of time in summer league to really gauge and coach them up, too. So I think that works in Tyrese's favor as well, but it's certainly going to be a a little bit of a rodeo next week. Man, what do you mean you don't want Blake Griffin's max contract uh, from the the Detroit Pistons? (laughs) Yeah, when when your best... uh, possible trade is uh luke Kennard from duke you got, got issues <laughs> oh for sure man uh yeah but I, that's why when i look at you know you you say some of those those things and obviously what i was mentioning about the timberwolves when you've got carl anthony towns you got d'angelo russell yeah. in the core that they've got and then you look yep. at the fact that there is only going to be the four week lead up until the season starts obviously the last season only ended a month ago you know, LeBron has come out and said that he's going to be doing his cherry picking thing uh, throughout the beginning of the season. And you know what? I can't blame him one bit because of the the way that all of this stuff has worked out. But I look at I look at especially a team like Minnesota and a team like Golden State. I would say if someone if Minnesota can can keep that number one pick and then acquire another one in the lottery and take a guy like Tyrese. Tyrese is someone that in yeah. my mind has an opportunity to come in and make an impact on your team earlier rather than later um and if you can get those guys that are more talented that can come in and make and help you win games and for someone like that who hasn't played games in eight months you can make some run here in the early part of the season and put yourself in a good position to maybe make the playoffs and and that's why i if i was minnesota i'd be like you know we don't really know what we've got we're getting close to where we've kind of got to cut some ties with some people here before too long and maybe start over if if it doesn't work out let's go all in with this group and um, and that's why I think you know Tyrese would be a really good fit there. I think he'd be a good fit at, at Golden State as well if they could figure out some way to to pick him up. But I I just don't see Lamelo Ball being a fit with uh, with Golden State. Is I guess my thing. Yeah, and and I haven't seen him enough to know. I mean, unfortunately for him, he's got his dad and everything, all the madness around him, and it's just like, does he really want to be in Minneapolis? I'm not sure. On the other hand, you know Tyrese will play. Like he'll he'll want to go wherever. And I think that's an attractive part for if you're a Minnesota or a Cleveland or a Detroit, um, is, is you know that guy's going to bring it every single day. And he's, and that, those franchises need some life within them. So, uh, Tyrese is certainly attractive from that aspect too. I mean, there's so many pluses with him. The only negative is, okay, he can't, he can't get you 25 off right. the bounds. And if that's it, then, um, you know, he's still going to have a, a very nice long NBA career. And I'm really excited to see him. I mean, it's pretty cool, isn't it, Jared? How, Remember, it was about two years ago, we played his first game in an Iowa State uniform, and we kind of all looked at each other like, you know, I thought I thought Wigginton, you know, would, would make an impact. We've heard about Horton Tucker, but I think Iowa State's best player might actually be Halliburton, and 
it's certainly come to fruition. Definitely, man. He was uh, he perfectly embodies what Fred Hoiberg talked about with uh, with Monte Morris back in his freshman year, where he couldn't afford to take him off the floor. I mean, Tyrese was the same kind yeah. of kid uh, for Steve Prohm during his uh, his freshman season. All right, buddy. Last thing that I want to I want to bounce off you, I, and I was just reminded of this because I looked up at the TV. Uh, Russell Westbrook. The rumor is that he wants out of wants out of Houston. It came out today uh, that apparently the Charlotte Hornets are uh, are are becoming the main suitor to uh, to acquire Russell Westbrook. Um, what do you think of that, and what do you think of Michael Jordan's pursuit to be the eighth seed in the in the Eastern Conference for uh, for the next five years? Yeah, I mean it, that would be perfect. Honestly, it's like Russell is at this point in his career where it's like, man, you're just kind of second fiddle. And unfortunately, I think he's still talented, but he'd actually give a personality to the Hornets. And you know, as one of 17 NBA fans in Iowa, I don't think I can name six Hornets. No. Um, it would be a real struggle to do so. So at least he'd give that team some personality. And, you know, if you're trying to sell some tickets, maybe, or I guess you're not going to sell any tickets this year, but you get my point. Yeah. Uh, maybe Russell Westbrook will help a little bit. I don't know, man. It's like those those two seem to be destined of, you know, the Hornets. Although I really like their head coach, by the way. Uh, James Barajo was an assistant in Orlando when I was down there. Really good dude. I think he's, he's a fine coach. They just do not have the roster pieces. So maybe Russ would help a little bit. I think Houston's a dumpster fire right now. Everybody's trying to hop off. So um, certainly some storylines in the NBA. Even though um, you know LeBron will always be the main one, but that's why the draft is great. Is you've got everybody chasing the Lakers now, and they'll try and uh, equip themselves through the draft, and then a crazy free agency period right after to try and get this season started in uh, late December. So it'll be a wild couple weeks. It, it's kind of crazy. I almost wonder if. Um... Russell is entering a period where he's almost comparable to what Dwight Howard was in like the mid 2010s yeah. where you know we knew that he was still talented but uh he had made everybody mad where he'd been nobody wanted to play with him and you know where he ended up he ended up with the Charlotte Hornets that's where he ended up that's basketball <laughs> obscurity embodied right there yeah. what do you, how do you want to be forgotten go to Charlotte and that's <laughs> that's pretty much what happened yeah definitely all right buddy go have your sloppy joes and uh, and we'll catch up with you again soon all right <laughs> All right, pal. Be good. All right, we're going to talk to Connor Ferguson and talk some Iowa State women's basketball when we come back here on the Cyclone Fanatic Radio Show presented by Nebraska Furniture Martin Clive on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and now 106.3 FM. It's a Cyclone Fanatic Radio Show presented by Nebraska Furniture Martin Clive here on Des Moines Sports Station 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. I'm Jared Stansberry. We've talked to Jay Jordan, Iowa State football. We've talked the NBA draft with Brent Bloom. And now we're going to talk Iowa State women's basketball with Cyclone Fanatic women's basketball reporter Connor Ferguson, who is joining us on the phone. Connor, what's up, man? Not too much. How are you doing? Doing good. You haven't, uh, haven't already started getting ready to step out for mugs, have you? No, don't, don't lie no, to don't, me. Don't lie to me. I don't got the money to go to mugs. Yeah, we, we got to social you. distance and drink by ourselves here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> See, now you're lying to me. I, I told you not to lie to me, Connor. And you I'll, did, I'll turn send you a snap anyway. later. I'm playing hockey. I'm playing hockey tonight. Oh, okay. No okay. mugs for me. All right. Sounds good. Um, all right. Iowa State Women's Basketball Media Day was yesterday, uh, and you were uh, covering it there for Cyclone Fanatic. Um, you know, the, your first story, I think, was really the most interesting thing to come out of it was, you know, Bill Fennelly's, um insistence 
I don't know that that maybe is the right word. His, him stating that, you know, this team is going to play four freshmen this year, and, and that's not too much of a surprise to us when you consider mm-hmm. how highly touted that, that Iowa State recruiting class was. Uh, but what what did you take away from that? What you know? What exactly did, did Coach Fenley say, and what are maybe going to be some of the challenges that they're going to face as they head into this season with that group? Well, I think insistence is a good word for it. I mean, you have uh, I mean, he's he's committing to playing all four of these players, but that should be your goal uh, when you get the highest rated recruiting class in uh, program history. So. Um, I mean, he's ready to get these girls going. I know uh, Kylie Fairbach, first of all, has an ankle injury. So she's two weeks behind uh, where everyone else is. But the biggest challenge of that is uh, Finley kind of described it, uh, I think when Maggie Espen-Miller-McGraw was playing last year, but kind of as the freshman wall, uh, getting past that um, and getting adjusted to, you know, first a college basketball setting and then a, a good college basketball team and then a different brand of basketball in, when the Big 12 uh, season comes around. Uh, and it kind of goes in steps like that, and you got to get through every last one uh, until you become one of the players in the rotation that's, you know, going to deliver for you every night. And until then, you're just competing. You know, I, I think the first, especially early in the season, we're going to see one of the freshmen – um, start going off on one night, and then you know on ensuing nights, a different player is going to step up. That's usually what uh, ends up happening through the season with these Iowa State women's teams, for sure. Um, and th- this team, you know, is coming into the season ranked 15th in the country, which is their highest preseason ranking since 2001-2002. And obviously, those are high expectations, especially when you consider the fact that the team is going to play four freshmen. Um, wh- what have they been doing to try and you know, keep themselves uh, from, you know, buying too much into their own hype and, and stuff like that. What, obviously there's still a lot of veterans on, on the team, but what, what did they say about that? And um, what, what were kind of the, what was the vibe that you got from, from the group? You know, the, uh, the boring part of it is uh, a few of them take after Ashley Jones and they don't look at that stuff whatsoever. And they just go out and try to play their best basketball every game. And uh, I think that's what you got to do when you're ranked 15th. Uh, but the vibe kind of I got from some of them uh, was that they know they're ranked 15th, but they've got to prove that ranking and they've got to come out and deliver every night. And that's going to be tough early in the season. It's a different off season than um, we've ever seen before. Everything's going to be weird. Um, so you're not, you know, your goal is to go undefeated in the non-conference play. Uh, but I'd say very high chance you don't do that, especially with this season. I think that just raises that. Uh, but I think a lot of them are, taking into account that they're 15th uh they appreciate that they're 15th and they know that's you know a good place to start but i think they know that they got something to prove still and they're obviously going to get a a pretty big challenge you know early on in the season i can't remember the exact date of the game but with number one was south carolina coming to uh coming to hilton coliseum in a, a game that i think uh, I think Bill Finley said that maybe somebody at the uh, Big 12 office is pissed at him or something like that. What uh, what they say about that game, and um, and what did what did Coach Finley have to say about the challenge that the Gamecocks will present? Yeah, so uh, Bill hasn't talked a ton about uh, South Carolina as a team uh, quite yet, but you know, right now it's the third game on the schedule. I assume when the road portion of the non-conference schedule comes out, it'll be one or two games deeper, which is good for Iowa State because you want to be ready for that game. Um, I know they knew about that game pretty early. They were pretty excited to get it. 
um, ahead of COVID, I believe. I could get my timeline mixed up here. I think it was sometime uh, in the I, summer. So uh, COVID was going okay, on. Yeah, but I don't yeah, think yeah, we it quite been, knew. Yeah, it yeah. might have been June. We might have been under the impression that we still might be able to have crowds or something. Yeah. I'm not sure, but I know they were excited to get that game in Hilton, and that was kind of a sarcastic comment from Finley. But um, it, it's huge to have that team on your schedule and that stretch. Uh, Finley did confirm that stretch is going to be TCU, South Carolina, and then Iowa, I believe. So I think Iowa's going to be sometime during that week of December 6th, uh, right after that South Carolina game. So that's going to be a tough uh, stretch playing a conference game, playing the number one, then playing your biggest rival. Well, and I would think too that you know if you want to get a group of freshmen ready for the Big Twelve, uh, here you go, get thrown right into the fire with the number one team in the country, a TCU team that's usually you know pretty solid somewhere in the middle of the Big Twelve, and then Iowa, which will have the number one recruit in the country in, in Caitlin Clark from Dowling. So uh, I would say that uh, is obviously you. <laughs> You want to win every game, but it's like, well, we want our, our girls to be ready for um, for the Big 12, and, and that's going to be a good stretch to, to get them ready. Yeah, and with, with how the little number of non-conference games it looks like they're going to have on the schedule, uh, it's huge to have a stretch like that that teaches you adversity. Um, the year they won that uh, early season conference tournament that came through, they had the championship in Ames, I think, against Miami. I forget, uh, the preseason women's in IT. IT preseason, yeah. yeah. IT, yeah. When, they, when they played in that, that taught, um, at least from my view and from the answers I got, it taught a lot about how to play through adversity, short periods of time, you know, good team after good team, and they went through and won it. Uh, and that team ended up uh, three-seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, so I, I think a stretch like that is definitely going to help them, and it, it's definitely going to make up for uh, the different non-conference schedule they have. Talking some Iowa State women's basketball here with Cyclone Fanatic women's basketball reporter Connor Ferguson. And that, you know, I think that not having fans in Hilton Coliseum for men's basketball is going to be a – it's going to be weird uh, as much as anything, but um, I think what what we heard from – you know, Jalen Coleman lands last week where he talked about being able to bring energy and stuff like that and that kind of being the playing field leveler. And I think that that can be a, something that uh, plays out across the entire country when you think about Iowa State going to Allen Fieldhouse without fans or going to uh, Manhattan or places like that. The women's basketball game, I think, is going to be – it's going to have a huge impact. When you think about the home court advantage that Iowa State has night after night uh, due to Hilton Coliseum and the fans that they get – not having any fans there, especially when you've got a game against the number one team in the country, is is going to be, I think, a real challenge for this group to to get used to. What did uh, what did Coach Fenley or did he say anything about that? What was uh, the vibe that you got just uh, on that front? Yeah, as far as fans go, I mean, you kind of just got to play with uh, the cards you're given. It's unfortunate that they drew that game and they drew it this season. Um, but they've got to be ready for that. And, you know, at the same time, they've got to adjust to other teams playing like that because some of these teams aren't going to have fans at all. Um, and I think there's a huge difference between a thousand fans and zero. Um, I might have sounded stupid right there. I don't know. But no, no, you're, I feel, you're... yeah, I feel like, you know, you got some people making noise when you're going on a run, you know, as opposed to just a completely empty arena uh, is an entirely different game. Uh, they, the team did, uh, Ray Johnson talked about, uh, COVID a lot, and basically their their biggest goal this year is to stay healthy from COVID because, you know, as we're seeing in college football, that's a game changer is just making it to Saturday and making it out of the field. Definitely. Um, some of the players that are returning, you know, with Ashley Jones, we talked about her 
a lot. What are some of the things that Coach Fenley maybe wants to see from her this season as far as improvement? Um, and was there anything that he saw in the offseason that uh, maybe saw that or made him think that she was going to take some some steps forward here into her junior year? Yeah, Coach Finley, uh actually sat down and had a meeting with uh, Ashley Jones. And, you know, she's coming off the only person in college basketball on the women's side to average 20 points a game and 10 rebounds per game. Uh, and he wants Ashley Jones to still uh, step it up again. I think Ashley, you know, kind of responds to the challenge and wants to beat that. And she wants to improve. She wants to get better. So um, I anticipate, you know, the, as good as those numbers are, I anticipate Ashley getting better. Uh, but the supporting cast around her is much deeper this year. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the numbers go down and the team get better, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, another one that, you know, I think, and we talked about this a little bit when you were on with me the last time, uh, and getting Kristen Scott back and getting her back to, to full strength. I think that the pandemic, from everything that you've written and, and other stuff that I've read, that it was really good for her to get uh, her back ailments back under control. What what does Coach Fenley want to see from her, and, and where does he think that she can go? This is her senior season, right? Yep, yep. She's one of three seniors on the team with uh, Ray and why am I forgetting? Maddie Weiss. Yeah. Matt, think, yes. Her name's right here. My goodness. Uh, but yeah, um, she is, she said she's 100%. She said that a few times last year, but I would really take her word this time uh, because the biggest thing for her injury was to get a few weeks off it in a row consistently, you know, with a little little to no work um, at all. And I think that pandemic break really helped her uh, in getting that right and getting it figured out. And we saw Kristen Scott, her sophomore season, go off and put up huge numbers game after game. Um, I would say she was injured. It might have even been before the Drake game, I think, last year, which was the second game um, of the non-conference season that wasn't an exhibition game. Um, So she was battling that through a majority of the season. They didn't ever get it completely healed. So I think we see her numbers spike up uh, a lot better than her junior year. And I know she uh, is capable of leading a team because she's been there for so long. All right, buddy. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking some time to, to talk with us, and, and we'll talk to you uh, again soon. Good luck in your hockey game tonight, all right? Absolutely. Appreciate it. Have a good one. That's Connor Ferguson, Cyclone Fanatic women's basketball reporter here on the Cyclone Fanatic radio show presented by Nebraska Furniture Martin Clive. I want to thank Jay Jordan again for joining us to talk some Iowa State football uh, during the first segment. want to thank Brent Bloom for coming on to talk a little bit about Tyrese Halberton and where uh, he is slated to go in the NBA draft. Uh, I'll give a little teaser for you Iowa State women's basketball fans out there. Tomorrow morning on Cyclone Fanatic, we will have a, a new Legends pod with Brent Bloom and Chris Williams. They sat down with uh, with Bill Fennelly to talk about this year's Iowa State women's basketball team and uh, his entire time at Iowa State. I'm off the rest of the week, so you guys won't be hearing from me tomorrow or over the weekend, but you will hear from me next time for on the same time, same place, here on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, now 106.3 FM.